So many truths to draw on from God's inspired and holy and inerrant word. But this is the passage I was drawn to as I searched my Bible for a word from the word for you today. And it, this is the sentence that caught my eye, 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. The Apostle Peter says, the end of all things is near. And most of the time, you know, it doesn't feel like it, right? Most of the time when you hear somebody say, it's the end of the world as we know it, they're either singing a song by R.E.M. or they're a fruitcake wearing a signboard and yelling at people on the sidewalk. And then there are days when it does seem like it. Sometimes events in the world move at such a fast pace and there are such scary headlines and you get personal news. A doctor says it's cancer. And all of a sudden, you ask, is this it? It seems like the end of all things is near. Well, let me be clear this morning. I'm not saying that I think that the coronavirus is the end of all things. I actually think that in a few months we'll all be worrying about something else than this novel coronavirus. We will have, Lord willing, moved on, I hope. And either because it's overblown, that's possible, or because the precautions we're taking slowed the roll and it became a nothing. And either way, everybody can agree we'll be glad to be past it, right? But this sentence was already in the Bible before the coronavirus came along. The end of all things is near. Peter wrote that, and he wrote it about 2,000 years ago, and when he wrote it, it was true. And if it was true 2,000 years ago, then it's at least true today, if not more true than ever, right? It's got to be more true than ever. If it's true all the time, and we are now 2,000 years from when he wrote it, we are closer than we've ever been to the end of all things. History is headed towards its culmination. And Peter says that it's at hand. What does Peter mean? And how should we then live? Let's pray together one more time and then see the perhaps surprising things that Peter says we should focus on when the end is near. Let's pray together. Father, again, we ask for your grace and your peace and your help. Thank you for everything that's been prayed and sung and quoted this morning. We pray, Father, for your help in understanding your word as we look at 1 Peter 4. Help us to get it and help us, Lord, to have it get us so that we are changed by reading it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Peter says, the end of all things is near. It's true all the time. It's not just true when it seems like it. It's true all the time. The end of all things is near. Be warned, time is limited. Time is short. Human history is a finite line. It had a beginning, and it will have an ending point. And that end is near. Peter knew that the end of history is imminent, impending, ready to unfold, close at hand. 
The next great event on the calendar of God is the consummation of history and the triumphant return of Jesus Christ. The end of all things is near. Do you believe that this morning? It's right there in your Bible. Very often, Christians like you and I make the major mistake of living as though this world and our lives are just going to go on and on and on, just like they are now, forever. But Peter says that's not true. That's not the right way to live. As the song says, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Up a couple of verses, in verse 5, Peter says that the judge of the living and the dead is ready. He's set, he's prepared, he's ready. And Peter said that 2,000 years ago. Like we talked about this last Advent season, God is only waiting in his patient, perfect timing to tie up the loose ends of history and send the Son of Man for his return. Now notice, Peter does not set a date. He doesn't set a time. Peter was there when our Lord says, nobody knows. Do you remember that from a couple months ago? Do you, when is Jesus going to return? We don't know, right? We don't know. He said he didn't even know, not even the Son. Might be sooner than we expect. Might be later than we expect. We don't know. But Peter was there. He also knew and taught that the Lord Jesus will certainly return and usher in the end of history at any time. The end of all things is near or at hand. All he has to do is open his hand and it's upon us. Do we live like that is true? What if you knew that the end of your life was near? Today, for example, many people in the world are grappling with that right now. But let's say you knew on the authority of God's word that by 6.30 this evening you would be dead. What would you do today? How would you live? What would your priorities be if you knew that you would soon see the judge of all the earth? Peter says, not only is the end of your life near, the end of all things is near. We are living in the last days. And the last of the last days is coming at a point when, which Peter calls soon or at hand. And knowing that, you and I should live with a certain set of priorities. So it's appropriate any day to have these priorities. However, we might be surprised at what those priorities are supposed to be. What should we be doing if the end of all things is near? Peter gives us four different but complementary things. So uh, here's the first one. Keep your head. <laughs> try, to keep, try to keep track of which verse you're singing. <laughs> keep your head. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore... Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Would you come up with that one? Peter says, the end of all things is near, so therefore keep your head. Keep your wits about you. Don't get frantic or manic or out of control. Now, I don't know about you, but instinctively, I get a little nervous when people talk about the world ending. If I think things are serious, my first reaction is to panic. I'm preaching the sermon to the wrong people. These are the people who came to church today, right? You, <laughs> right? All right, well, I'm going to preach it to me, okay? And you guys can listen in. The sky is falling. The sky is falling, Chicken Little says. Well, when I hear that, my first reaction is to lose my cool. My first reaction is to think about all of the wrong things. 
This happened to me a number of times this week in reading the headlines. I think it's happened to a lot of people in our culture. Look at the lines at the grocery store. The end of all things is near. Therefore, buy up all the toilet paper. No. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Get a hold of yourself. Don't go off the deep end. Focus. Focus on what is important. Why? Verse 7. So that what? You can do what? So that you can be prepared? So that you can pray. That's right. That's what it says. If the world is ending, if you're going to go see the king, then you better get close to him now. Talk with him. Trust him with all things. The important thing is to remain close to the one who is coming soon. Keep your head so you can pray. It's a focus issue, right? Too often we get caught up in focusing on this world and not the world that is going to break in on us soon enough. It had happened to the Apostle Peter. Remember back in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter, Paul, uh, Jesus was praying face down on the ground? What did he tell Peter, James, and John to do? Pray. See, be self-controlled and alert and pray. And what did Peter do? He fell asleep. He, he just started sawing logs. He lost his focus. And he got muddy-minded and lost self-control and slept. In other words, he lost his head and didn't pray. I think he probably remembered that night, and that's one of the reasons why he cautions us against living like that. Yesterday, the elders were were meeting to try to come up with our plan for leading this week. By the way, I am so thankful for our elders. Thank you for meeting and for praying and for reading and for trying to think through the issues and respond to them in a a balanced way, I'm very thankful, especially because I can get a little frantic. A couple times they're like, Matt, what do you need? You know, and I was just feeling a little overwhelmed. Okay, a lot overwhelmed. And uh, I was trying to write this message, you know, get a sermon together, and I called Becky. She's saying, yeah, he called me and he didn't make any sense on the phone. Yeah, yeah. And then I yelled at my wife. I'm sorry, Heather Joy. It's so easy to get overwhelmed by things, and Peter knows that, so he reminds us, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. What's got your attention right now? Are you clear-minded and self-controlled and prayerful? Or are you manically chasing after this world? The King James says, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That doesn't mean to be long in the face and watch people praying. It means calm down and pray. The end of all things is near, so keep your head about you and pray. And number two, stretch your love. Look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter prioritizes this one at the top. Above all, he says, love each other deeply. That word deeply could be translated fervently, earnestly intensely it comes from a greek word that means to stretch something to its fullest length like when you're you got a rubber band and you pull it all the almost all the way back you pull it anymore it's going to break okay that's this word okay to stretch something to its fullest length like a rope the word was often used to describe an athlete or a horse running and stretching at full stretch straining at full stretch in other words go all out in love that's what peter's saying Don't just play at love. Don't just go part of the way. Go the distance. Stretch your love. 
Stretch your love, he says, with people who are hard to love. Peter says, love covers over a multitude of sins. Jesus said, it's easy to love the people who love you. We're supposed to love the people who aren't easy to love. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, that does not mean condone sin. It means to love someone in spite of their sin. To cover sin with ready forgiveness. Forgive 70 times 7. Cover over sin by sheltering someone from the exposure and condemnation that their sin would normally yield. If you can, cover sin by overlooking faults and offenses. Go the extra mile in loving someone who has sinned against you. Stretch your love for those who've sinned against you. The end of all things is near, so ratchet up your love. There is no time to focus on quarreling. The body of Christ needs to be exercising deep love because time is short. Now, I wouldn't have thought of this one. I really wouldn't have. I would have thought of preaching the gospel because the time is short. And we should. But I would have thought that loving each other might be a lower priority. I mean, we've got to get the word out. But I would have been wrong. God puts a premium on love for one another. Especially love when it's hard. So are there people in your life right now that are hard to love? Time is short. As much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. Get things right with them. Time is short. Living in light of eternity means stretching our love for each other right now. Someone has wisely said, to live above with saints above, that will indeed be glory. To live below with the saints below, now that's another story. Right? It's hard. Like you already pity my wife, right? Are we loving the people that are hard to love? We need to. Love each other deeply because love covers over multitudes of sins. He says, above all, stretch your love. Stretch it even to strangers and to those who need a meal or lodging or some other kind of material assistance. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, strangely enough, in our particular time in history, we're doing social distancing. So that might have to look differently at, at a time when an than when an invisible viral army is not running rampant. But this is a command for all Christians in all times, so we don't get to duck it however we do it. Perhaps hospitality in our current cultural moment is leaving some toilet paper for someone else to buy. I'm not hoarding these resources, I'm letting them go. Perhaps hospitality is making a meal for somebody who's shut in. Or an underfed child that's home from school where they normally get a hot lunch. Or maybe it's your family taking time this week to draw pictures and send notes and cards to nursing homes or hospitals where they aren't going to get as many visits in the next few weeks. However you do it, Peter calls us to stretch our love out in hospitality, which means using our resources to bless others, especially strangers. And we aren't allowed to do it grudgingly or with complaint. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why? Because the end of all things is near. That's a stretch of love, isn't it? I mean, I can do it, but without grumbling? Oh, man. My first book was Resisting Gossip. My second one should probably be about resisting grumbling, but I'm not ready to write it yet. 
because I'm still so tempted. We let that one go, don't we? Oh, yeah, well, he's just, he's just blowing off steam. Well, no, he's grumbling. And God makes a big deal out of it. Do it without grumbling. Remember, the end of all things is near. There is no time for whining about a little discomfort. We need to stretch our love. Number three, we need to use our gift. Use your gift. Verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now notice that it doesn't say, if God has given you a gift, use it. It says, use whatever gift you have received. That means that everyone here who is a Christian has at least one grace gift from the Lord to use in service to others within and without the body of Christ. It's not just our musicians like Anita who are gifted. It's not just pastors who are gifted. Everyone is gifted. Every Christian is gifted. Are you a Christian? Then you've been given a gift. Are you using it in ministry? Are you using it to serve others? Now, would you have ever thought that that's an end times priority? The end of all things is near, so use your gift. A pastor friend of mine likes to say, life is short, live for God. Use your gift in service to others. Use it faithfully, he says, as a steward, as a manager. That gift was given to you to, to steward. He says God is, he calls it grace. So it's grace in various forms. God has given you some measure of grace not to hold on to. It's a gift, so, but to pass it on to others. Don't bury it, put it into practice. Life is short, live for God. Or like we said around Christmas this year, what do you want to be found doing when the Lord Jesus returns? Some people throughout history have thought that the end of all things is near, and so they put on a robe, they climbed up on a roof, and they said, be me up, Jesus. And they stopped serving the other people around us, around them. The people in, in Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonians did that. They got, they got to be busybodies. They stopped doing work because they thought, oh, Jesus is going to come back soon, so I won't bother serving or working. But that's not what God has asked us to do in these last days. He's asked us to be busy using our grace gifts in ministry so that he finds us living for him when he comes back for us. That's what I want to be doing when Christ returns. Hearts longing for him, hands and feet active for him. I'd love to be preaching when Jesus comes back. I heard a preacher when I was young and impressionable say that he was hoping that he would be preaching when the trumpet sounds and... Uh, and, uh, and the rapture happens. He says, and I was, I'm going to give the shortest invitation that was ever given. I'd love to be preaching when the Lord returns. But I better be doing it God's way. Not on my own. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks like I'm doing now, speaking and ministering to others, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So time is short. This is no time for messing around with God's word. My job and anyone's job who is gifted in speaking in ministry is to speak God's words after him. Words that fit with the scriptures. If anyone serves, verse 11, he should do it with the strength that God provides. This is the way to avoid burnout in ministry. If God is the one burning in the bush, it's not consumed. If God is the one burning in the servant, the servant will not be burnt out. Use your gift, but use the Holy Spirit empowerment that comes with the gift to do the ministry. Anything else will be virtually worthless. I have many times made the mistake of trying to do ministry in the strength that Matt Mitchell provides, and it's not pretty. 
If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Are you using your gifts in ministry right now? Do you know what your gift is? What God has given you? Are you using it in ministry? Time is short and the church is not a spectator sport. Right now, strangely enough, we need to be careful of being around each other. But there are lots of ways to use our gifts in ministry that don't require personal contact. The point is that time is short. Live for God. The end of all things is near. So use your gift, number four and last, to magnify your God. Verse 11, use the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. If we use God's power for ministry, God will get the glory. God will be praised if we use the gifts He gives with the energy He provides. And that praise, glory, and dominion are the bottom line in life. As the end draws near, and it is 2,000 years nearer now than when Peter penned these words, we should position our lives to maximize the magnification of God through Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Are you living for the magnitude of God? If God wants anything from you and me in the days of the coronavirus or in just any day and every day because the days are short, He wants us to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Is your life a telescope of the glory of God so that He gets the praise, He gets the glory, He gets the power? I have no idea where this virus will take us. God only knows. But He knows everything and is completely trustworthy. What I do know is that no matter what, time is short. The end of all things is near. It has been for 2,000 years, so it's nearer today than ever. And the glory of God through Jesus Christ lasts forever and ever. Forever. Magnify your God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the reminder that the time is short. Some days it seems like it. Other days it doesn't. And it's different for different people when it seems like it. But it's true all the time. Jesus is coming back soon. So we need to be ready. And of course we need to be ready by preaching the gospel. We need to be ready by believing the gospel. If, if there's somebody here who has not yet trusted in Jesus as their Savior, they need to do that today. Because we don't know when we will die. We don't know when Jesus will come back. We need to be ready. But this passage has told us we also need to be doing this. We need to keep our head so that we can pray. I pray that we be clear-minded and self-controlled in these days. We need to stretch our love over sin and into hospitality, using the resources you've given us to love other people, and not just the ones we like, to use our gift and the strength that only you provide so that you get the glory. We want to magnify your glory because time might be short, but forever is a long time. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.